Turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to the first chapter of Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Beloved, we have just come from the table of the Lord. It has been more than 2,000 years ago that the Old Testament Passover feast was transformed by the Lord Jesus in the upper room just before his crucifixion. The Passover has become the Lord's Supper for all believing Jews and Gentiles alike. Those who claim the broken body and the shed blood of their Savior as the only ground that enables them to stand before the Holy God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And together, we just sang a few of the words of amazing grace. We once were lost, but now we're found. Spiritually, we were blind, but now we see. So grace, grace, rightly understood, is truly amazing, isn't it? Are you still amazed? I ask that because... In this Galatian epistle, the word amazing actually appears, but in a context that is quite distressing for the apostle, and in a way devastatingly harmful to those who first believed a gospel of pure grace, a salvation by grace alone. Now, we're going to read the first 12 verses of this chapter, Galatians 1, but look right away, will you, at Paul's amazement in this context. Verse 6, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. The King James translator used the old English word marvel. Uh, We sing, don't we, about the marvelous grace of our loving Lord. But the apostle says, rendered in the King James this way, I marvel that you have so soon removed yourselves from a gospel of pure grace. The New International Version renders it, and I quote, I am astonished. You see, we have amazement. We have a marvel. We have this uh, sense of being absolutely astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Folks, when Paul writes to the Galatian Christians, understand that it has only been a few years since Jesus died on the cross, since he was raised on the third day and weeks later ascended to his father. And already they are doubting whether grace is enough. And we are in no less danger, perhaps even in more danger, of moving away from trusting 
that God's grace is enough. That it was grace in the first place that taught our hearts to fear. And then that same grace relieving those fears. Grace that has brought us safe thus far. And grace, according to Newton, that will lead us all the way home. Daily grace. But is it enough? Like the Galatians, how many professing believers today love to sing amazing grace, but go on to live under the tyranny of of believing in a gospel that, that they think somehow requires something other than grace alone since the hour they first believed. Is grace enough? Here in Galatians 1, let's read the 12 verses. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? (laughs) If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Pause to pray. Heavenly Father, we have a gospel we can trust because it is a message that does not originate with fallen man. It is good news from heaven itself and has come down to us in the person of your own Son. We thank you that the very promise we have of sins forgiven, the hope of heaven, And your personal guarantee of life everlasting is a finished work. You have saved us by your grace alone. Help us to go on by that same grace, adding nothing but our faith in Christ as the sure ground of our peace. His righteousness alone for our standing before you. We ask this because it magnifies and glorifies the grace that is found in Christ alone, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Is grace enough? I have little doubt that everyone who is a true believer in Christ here this morning would answer with a resounding yes. Some of you wanted to say amen. For by grace we know we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, the grace gift of God, if you will. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But again, the Apostle Paul knows that everyone in Galatia who responded to the gospel call of grace believes that too. That salvation is by the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, the Galatian problem arises after the hour they first believed. You see, there came to them preachers and teachers who said basically this, grace is fine. Faith in Christ is a, it's a good thing. But then they said, if you're going to maintain your standing with God, if you want to be certain of eternal life, well, there's more that you must do. Now, I'm not introducing a new series of studies this morning in uh, this epistle. We're not going to preach through the whole epistle. We'll do that someday, Lord willing. But because I'm not doing that now, I'm not going to take the time to detail and define the particular heresy, the false teaching that came to Galatia. But suffice it to say that any view of the Christian, any view of the Christian life that suggests that we are somehow saved by grace, but that it is up to us to add something to that grace in order to gain and maintain God's favor on a day-to-day basis. Well, that is such serious error that Paul outrightly condemns it. It is to create another gospel, one that originates from man and not, as Paul said, from God himself. It is to say that grace can save a wretch like me, but now that it has, I need something more than that grace to to have any real walk with God. Again, the apostle you saw mentions no words and says that unless we believe in a salvation by grace as well as what the scripture calls growth in grace, a walk by grace, holiness of life as the fruit, not of my works, but of his grace, unless it is grace from start to finish, Paul would say we've moved away. And of all things, we've moved away from Christ. We've moved away from the sufficiency found in the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all of God's grace. Anyone who dares to teach such a view that something more than grace is needed, did you hear what Paul said? Let him go to Well, actually, he's more polite than I. It says, let him be accursed. And he says it twice. Anathema is the word. Is grace enough? 
how serious a matter is the answer. Any way of salvation and any way of Christian living that has in it any taint of something other than grace alone is a doctrine straight from the pit. It has in it the hiss of the serpent and it smells an awful lot like sulfur. Paul says anyone who dares to corrupt a gospel of pure grace, well, let him or her go down to that pit from whence their false teaching came. This is serious business, folks. You see, our own works of righteousness are not only filthy rags before our conversion, any works that come out of our own flesh, oh, with all the willpower you could muster, are still filthy rags after conversion. We are saved not only by Jesus' blood, but we walk also by his righteousness. Understand, on this side of glory, Even our best works have the taint of sin in them. Pride is forever exerting itself. So the only works of ours that could possibly have any sweet-smelling savor to our God are those born out of his ongoing work of grace. Not the works of our flesh, but the blessed fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that produce is a work of grace. So that not only at the beginning when we first believed, but all throughout every day until we see him face to face, to him alone be the glory. For anything you see here, anything that might be praiseworthy If it be a genuine work, it must be a work of God. It must be the byproduct or the bearing of the fruit of God's work by his spirit, which is still and always will be a work of grace. You see, God's grace is so much more than just an attitude that God chooses to have toward us. I mean, I'm glad I can say God is gracious to me. And in some sense, I know that describes the direction of his heart and mind toward me. His his attitude toward the redeemed is a gracious attitude, yes. But in far more places in the New Testament, grace is actually described not as much as an attitude of God, but of his very power. It is grace actively Teaching us, as as Paul told the young pastor Titus, grace, he said, teaching us to deny ungodliness while empowering us to live righteously and soberly in this present age. Grace is a verb. Grace is the movement of God in the life of the believer, producing only those works that could possibly be pleasing to him. They must come from his grace. My dear friends, some of you in particular, those of you who are struggling and frankly living some defeated lives because you just 
No, you can't be good enough. Some are discouraged because they cannot be consistent enough. But what they're really trying to do is to earn something of the favor of God. And so they live under a self-judgment and a self-condemnation. Oh, how such a one needs to embrace the gospel of grace in their daily lives as they did when they first believed. My admonition to all of us, I need this so much, even after all these years in my life, I need to be a student always of the grace of God. Study grace until you really believe it. And I'll tell you why. Grace, rightly understood, is designed to unleash Christians to serve Christ with true freedom, infectious joy, and authentic faithfulness. Oh, still sinning here and there and everywhere. Let no one say he has no sin or he commits one of the worst ones, and that would be to call God a liar. But the sin question's been dealt with, freeing us to serve, yes, to serve in spite of ourselves and our many failings. Study grace until you believe it. Grace has as its focus not my poor performance, but grace always has its eyes on Christ's perfect righteousness in which I live and move and have my being. If I want the favor of God in my life, and I do, I must ask for it to come the only way it can by the merits of Christ and by his grace. Grace is for those who need to be released from spiritual or institutional, you know, churchianity. And some need to be released from the emotional prisons of of man's own making. Grace is for those of us who are tired of being motivated by guilt. Grace is for those of us who are weary of religious formulas that do not work. Weary of a perfectionism which is nothing but exhausting and destructive. Grace is for those who need to see their new identity in Christ much more than they need a positive self-image. Oh my goodness. I've often thought if I could ever get hold of that poor little inner child that Oprah and Dr. Phil says you have. Well, I'll tell you what I'd do if I'd get a hold of your little inner child. I'd kick his little butt. (laughs) And I would do it with a gospel of grace. Grace is for those who need to be free from the abuse, the shame, the addictions, and guilt of the past as well as the present. Grace is for those who right now, secretly perhaps, are wrestling with the same besetting sin you had before you were saved. And you wonder if it will follow you to the grave. Maybe it will, I don't know, but Christ died for that sin too. And it has no power to condemn you. Oh my, 
Grace is for those, well, who need more grace. And you do. Your sins are many. But I can tell you, they're no match for God's grace. Because even where sin abounds, and it does, what do we read? Grace superabounds all the more. The word is superabounds in the Greek. And yet it's even a fact. We need grace to get grace. We need grace to get more grace. And we have it all. This grace is in the fullness of our blessed Lord and Savior. This grace is to be found at his feet. Wearily we lay aside our self-effort and we come with all our failings and sin and our shame. And laying it at his feet, he pours into us grace, grace, marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Is this too good to be true? Is grace enough? It is good news indeed, precisely because it is true. And grace is enough, providing everything the Bible says for life itself and for the pursuit of godliness. With time failing us, I can only say briefly that if you will focus on what we've just read, even in these first 12 verses of an epistle which deals with the whole issue as to whether is grace enough, you will discover Paul taking pains to say, you can trust that grace is enough because this message of the gospel has come not from me. Nor did I go to a seminary where they taught it. No one taught it to me. As a privileged apostle, one born late in time, having a Damascus Road experience, has a revelation of Jesus Christ himself, and Paul comes to recognize Christ is enough, and he is the one full of grace and truth. I've been saying in recent weeks, more to remind myself some days than all of you, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Got grace? How's that for a bumper sticker? I've seen got milk. Got grace? Grace. You're saved by grace. You grow in grace. You live by grace. And all you ever care in grace to present to God is the perfect righteousness of Christ. And just confess your own poor performance. Because instead of a spirit of condemnation, grace, grace, greater than all our sin, brings us into a relationship which our sin cannot destroy and nothing else and no one else can separate us from the love of God which is in this person of grace our Lord Jesus Christ